Welcome to the Ember Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today as we gather together to wrestle with the ways that these ancient texts collide with our everyday lives as 21st century people. Using art, music, and the world around us as our guide, we hope to breathe new life into these texts and that our conversations spark as much curiosity and creativity for you as they do for us. Hi, I'm Jeremy Grafe, and I'm one of the leaders at Ember Faith Community. Hi, I'm Allison Spooner, and I'm the pastor at Faith Emmanuel and Hope Presbyterian Churches. Hi, I'm Kelsey Wallace, and I'm a PhD candidate at Drew University. For this season of the Ember Podcast, we're talking about the Book of Revelation. Whether you're a Christian or not, we hope you'll join us in exploring how the apocalyptic poetry in the Book of Revelation challenges power structures, helps us to look at the way we use power, and invites us to resist oppression. This is especially relevant for Christians who are called to witness to God's grace, but we hope the Ember Podcast can help spark meaningful conversations for people who have other beliefs as well. Thanks for tuning in. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and your poverty, even though you are rich. I know the slander on the part of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Beware, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, so that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have affliction. Be faithful until death, and I will give to you the crown of life. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Whoever conquers will not be harmed by the second death. So this week, we're actually going to give you a two-for-one deal. We're in chapter two and three, since they're all letters to the churches that were mentioned in chapter one. So rather than dealing with them kind of in two separate episodes, we're going to cover them both at the same time, because there are a lot of themes that show up throughout all of the letters or most of the letters. As well, there's another idea that we didn't talk about last week, but we wanted to bring up as another real key to... um, interpreting and understanding Revelation, which is this idea that even though there are a lot of allusions to other parts of Scripture and Revelation, it often doesn't quote anything directly, and we'll get into that a little bit today, too. So, one of the things that we should probably talk about as a refrain that's important, that's especially important now, um, there's a there's a couple references to a synagogue of Satan. And a lot of the time, some of the language in Revelation has been used to create division and separation among people and has been used in anti-Semitic ways. And when we're looking at some of the things that have been going on in our country and in our world in recent events, um, there's been a rise in anti-Semitic language. There's also been a lot of vandalism of Jewish cemeteries. And there have been a significant number of bomb threats that have happened to Jewish community centers. And one of the things that we're committed to as um, people of faith at Ember is this idea that there's, there's room at the table for everybody. And there's so much more that we share in common 
with our Jewish brothers and sisters in the faith than what we have in difference. So one of the things that we wanted to start off by saying was um, we have to be really careful about how we look at and understand um, a phrase like what might be meant by something like a synagogue of Satan. It's not carte blanche to be anti-Semitic. It's not... um, It's nothing that we want anyone to misunderstand. So we're going to do our best to try and treat with that in a way that will equip you not only to maybe understand it a little bit better yourself, but if you go back to your own faith communities, it can be hopefully something that can be a resource for you. Yeah. um, As you were saying, there's been, uh, it's not only that it says synagogue of Satan, but it's how the church has used that phrase in the past to promote anti-Semitism. which is a really condemnable history. Um, But understanding kind of where the context of Revelation will help us to deal with that phrase in particular. Um, One thing to note is that early on in the, in the Christian, um, in Christian practice, there wasn't a sharp distinction between Jews who are following Christ and, and otherwise, um, the move for Christianity was sort of an invitation um, for Gentiles through Paul, um, but many of the early Christian church were Jews, and they considered themselves Jews. That was their identity. Um, and so we hear every time that phrase is mentioned, at least most of the time, it says they say they're Jews, but they're really not. So uh, to me, that's more pointing out a hypocrisy uh, situation. And it's kind of an in-group conflict. Um, mm-hmm. Like when we think about it that way, we're not looking, we're not taking um, an outsider view of saying, okay, I'm looking at this group over there that's not me, that I'm not a part of, and making a claim about them. It's really them looking within their set themselves and, and saying something about what's happening in their own Jewish context. Which is often when some of the sharpest arguments happen, like... You don't argue about stuff you don't care about. Mm-hmm. So, like, with a lot of my friends, we'll often argue pretty vehemently about music. We love a lot of the same stuff, but, you know, we'll argue really sharply and say some pretty harsh things about each other and about other bands that we're maybe not into that the other one might be. I mean, it's, it's the same deal. Like, it's not possible to have kind of this high temperature rhetoric if you're not invested like if you don't give a shit you don't get upset and i think to that point some one of the things that these letters do is kind of give you a little bit of an insight into what mattered because what are they pointing out about these churches like what do they really care about we get the um the idea that two of those things are eating food that's been sacrificed to idols and fornication however you want to talk about that um, that comes up in a couple of letters. So, I mean, this is like a, this is an open topic, is an open debate in the period in which John is writing. Because otherwise, like you said, why would, why would they even bother to mention those things specifically? Yeah. I think it's also worth, worth pointing out, Jeremy had mentioned that Revelation also often alludes to scriptures. And at this point, what we mean by scriptures is... Uh, what we would deem Old Testament scriptures. Um, the Hebrew Bible was the Bible for um, for the community 
that this letter, the community that this letter was written to. So uh, it talks about Jezebel in one of the letters and Balak and Balaam. And those things might not be as familiar to, to us, but to them that is a reference back to um, the history and the stories of Israel. And so that's that heritage is still very important to the author of this letter and to the churches that received it. And at the same time, like Justice Spoon pointed out, like these are very these are very contextual letters. The people hearing them or reading them would have gotten these cues right away. And kind of to that point, like in the letter to Pergamum, we hear about the Nicolaitans. There's no explanation of who they are or what their particular fault was, but it's very clear that the authors like don't be like them. Um, so I think we have to remember kind of when we read these that there that we have a very small window into through these letters into what was really going on at that time. And we can draw some conclusions and, and make some, you know, inferences about what's happening, but there's also a lot that we don't know at the same time. Yeah, like we don't we don't know who they are, do we? I mean no. not that I am aware of. But also in that letter to Pergamum, you get kind of one of the first references, clear references in Revelation, at least, to um, a martyr or a persecution. Um, they named someone specifically that was killed from among their community. So that just, like in, the, in our last um, episode, we talked about kind of what it meant to be living under Roman imperial rule during this time and the kind of physical threats to your safety that that meant. And this is a pretty clear example of that. Um you get this this thread running through these letters of hold fast to your beliefs, cling, cling to them. I'm I'm I Jesus. I'm coming soon. You know. Um, so that hope that is being threaded through this is a very real and important thing when your life is at stake. Yeah, it's interesting to me that it's the letter to Pergamum specifically that it talks about the martyr because the critique of Pergamum is you know that they are they're dead uh you have the name of being alive but you are dead um so to me that's kind of holding in tension the fear of being physically dead and the reality that the letter's pointing out that if you aren't you know holding fast to that to that faith you're already dead you might as (laughs) you might as well risk it because what what is it what does it mean to live into the resurrection uh and into that promise and hope yeah so it's probably worth it to to reiterate a couple of things in this, but um, the the book of Revelation would have been written, I mean, would have been read publicly. So these churches not only would have heard their own letter being read to them, but all the other ones. And this would have been read to other communities. So we talked in the last episode about how this was written for particular people in a particular context. So... We've already kind of mentioned that there would be things that the people hearing this would have understood without any, like, explanation needed. Like, they're already in on the conversation. But there's something else in this, too. And early in the last episode, we talked a little about about what it means that this is a prophecy. So I think a lot of the time people think of Revelation as something that's going to happen in the future and, like, an end-time event. And what we lose in that conversation is this idea that like why would anybody hang on to it for 2000 years then like if it didn't speak to them kind of more or less directly like the things that become the best selling movies and the best selling books 
people are really responding to them and it's resonating with them. Like whether it's it's causing them um, a degree of like self-reflection or they're really excited about it, they get it. And that, that takes on kind of its own character. And the book of Revelation had to have had that same kind of meaning for this to stick around and become part of the scriptural canon. Yeah, that and that's the meaning for the original people who would have heard it. But also, every community over that span of 2,000 or so years up until today that has found meaning in this has worked to preserve it and to continue studying studying it, which is really powerful. I think it sort of transcends time in that sense. The symbols are, are open enough that every community can find themselves in it. Right. So it spoke something to the original context, but we can wrestle with it in our own kind of conversations and artists have continued to try and treat with it. We've talked a little about how most people might know Revelation through like movies or books. And I mean, that's one way of interpreting it. But I mean, there are still artists that are still working with Revelation. And I think when we, I mean, you mentioned wrestling with it. And I think this is one of the first places that we really do have to wrestle with it. Um, And we start to get a a hint of what's going to come in the next many chapters um, and the kinds of things that are really going to be hard for us to read. Um, and if you look, if you were to look at the, at least the letter to Thyatira, where we talk about Jezebel, um, this is, you know, the voice of God more or less saying that I'm going to throw this woman on a bed and those who commit adultery with her, I'm throwing into great distress and I'm going to strike her children dead. I don't know about you, but that's not exactly the image of God that I like to hold in my mind as I go through life on a day-to-day basis. And I think as we go forward, it's important to kind of take the time to stop and note and slow down a little bit and look at the way the text talks about women, look away the text talks about children and the ways in which that is really, really not the way that we would maybe want to make those kinds of Um, those claims today often you'll find women used um, sexually in metaphor either to represent cities or cities will be characterized as female um, and then they're essentially raped in in the text and there's something about the the violence in these texts that in some ways does violence to the reader nowadays especially in the conversations we're having in kind of our social spheres um, that I think it's worth kind of slowing down and unpacking because it's ugly and we don't think about our God talking that way. And yet what do we do with this? Right. And to your point, I think it's important to acknowledge how you feel when you read that, regardless of what was originally intended or what the rhetorical move is. Um, but I know that particular passage kind of hits me in the heart. and I'm, I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. So I think it's okay to, spend a moment and just be like yeah that sucks um before you know being willing to follow through and continue to say all right but what do we what do we find through this image and i think that there's going to be moments where it's okay to say that this image is painful and it's damaging and it's not something i'm gonna uphold as good news um i think that on the whole Revelation is good news, but not every passage is always good news for me <laughs> or for a particular community that in, in the 21st century. I think that that tension that we talked about last time about holding the ancient context 
and kind of holding what the literary moves of the text are and our own experience of it those three things together are what form our interpretation and sometimes it's okay to say this is gross and I don't like it (laughs) yeah well that just reminds me of one of the things that Dr. Carey said when he was sharing with us some some useful frameworks on our first week when we had this discussion live at Ember in the evening service he said that we need to be really honest about our points of resistance with the text and I think a lot of the time depending upon how you grew up like whether you grew up in the church or out sometimes we get this idea that the Bible is like inviolable like we can't even question it we can't fight back against it and I think if we look at, you know, kind of the common Jewish practice for thousands of years now, like you are supposed to argue. I mean, if you look at Job, Job finally says, hey, God, you know, why are you doing this to me? Like there's there's an argument that we don't need to understand maybe what's happening, but we do have our feelings about something. And that that's something that we can offer to God just as much as our praise. Right. I think part of how... Um, the spirit works as we read these scriptures is how we resist them and how we how we uh, just deal with the realities of what's there so I think it's all part of the process I think often the more that I learn about these texts the less I actually know about them (laughs) Um, and in a way that's a really powerful statement to what's up with the spirit and the power of these words as they've been kind of carried through time and landed kind of in our laps at our feet at this moment and the ways that we continue to interpret them and they will continue to be interpreted over time. Speaking of this conversation of sort of difficult images, um, there's an ongoing refrain in the throughout the letters about if you conquer, this will be good. And that word conquer comes up often. Um, so on one hand, that's a really militaristic and, uh, violent, um, almost oppressive image. Um, but I, my own understanding of that is that (laughs) it's contrasted with the way in which the Roman empire, for instance, conquers. Um, and this conquering, it says in one of the letters, this is the same way that Jesus conquered, um, so when you look at what Jesus actually did was to die and then be resurrected. Um, so in what way is that conquering? <laughs> it's not the same thing as what, what the Roman Empire is doing. So for this week, we'd like to invite you into a little bit of a holy wrestling match with the scripture. Just because something's in scripture doesn't necessarily mean that we have to agree with everything or even accept all of it. And I think sometimes we get this idea that we're not really allowed to talk back to God as if there's anything that we can say or do or feel that God can't somehow handle. So as we're getting deeper into Revelation, be honest with the things that are pissing you off and that cause you to feel uncomfortable or that cause you to wonder if your image of God is right or if maybe Revelation's image of God is right. And in those moments of reflection, allow that to refine your faith. 
Because we're committed to developing greater understanding and working toward a more peaceful world, join us next week for a special conversation with Rabbi Jack Paskoff, who will help us to understand what we can do to help resist anti-Semitism and how we can meaningfully support our Jewish neighbors. The Ember Podcast is a production of Ember Faith Community. Your hosts are Jeremy Graef, Allison Spooner, and Kelsey Wallace. Music written and performed by Subaltern Project. All rights reserved, 2017.